And then our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4. Our focus text is verse 6 and 7, but we will read the entire chapter together. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syndiki that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other, my other fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how both how I know both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me notwithstanding ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving, giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, 
chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is God's word. Philippians 4, verse 6, the first part says, Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. What does that mean? Children, what does that mean? It's a little hard to understand, perhaps, when you first read it. Be careful for nothing. That, does that mean to be careless? Maybe your mom says to you, why are you being so careless? Is that what that means? Be careful for nothing. Well, actually, that's not what it means. It means quite something different. Be careful for nothing. Do not take care for anything, is another way to put it. Or, actually, it translates, from the Greek, it translates, do not be anxious. Do not take care for all these concerns and these anxieties and these fears and these worries and these distractions. Take care for nothing. Don't be anxious. That's what that phrase means in the Greek and in our English. Do not be anxious. What this word anxious, what does this word anxious mean? When you look it up in the dictionary, I have a definition here. Apprehensiveness and uneasiness of mind, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. Fearful concern or interest. But let's just put that in our own language now. What, what does that mean? What is anxiety? Because I think many of us struggle with anxiety. I, I do. I think many of us have worries and fears and concerns and, and challenges that overwhelm us. Actually, that's, what, that's the idea, isn't it? An overwhelming sense of fear, often with psychological so feel, you, you feelings in your body, psychological signs, sometimes doubt concerning the nature of the threat. Some people are fearful of what might happen to them tomorrow, and they live in anxiety about the problems of tomorrow. Others are fearful of what's coming. Maybe, maybe it's a test at school and, and you're getting all worked up over it because the more you think about the test that's coming, the more you think you might fail. And well, if you fail, you'll do poorly in the class and then what's going to happen? And all these fears somehow overwhelm you. An overwhelming sense of fear. Sometimes with psychological signs and doubt about what's going to happen. And usually also self-doubt about one's ability to face whatever the challenge might be. Now, I really didn't need to give you that definition, did I? Because I think many of us have had anxiety. In fact, all of us have had times of worry and fear and overwhelming anxiety. It's an increasing problem in our society, actually. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, we know them, right? They've done a study... 25% of children between 13 and 18 suffer from anxiety disorders in society. And I want to believe that's probably a a similar stat among us. 25% of children. Or there's also a study of anxiety disorders are a common mental illness in 40 million adults in the United States, almost 20% of the population. And you can see it from all the prescription medications and such, an overdose of prescription medications. Anxiety is increasing in our society. Anxiety disorders, it's a whole category of medical challenges, restlessness, 
increased irritability, loss of sleep, depression. These are some of the results. Paralyzed by worry, panic attacks, phobias, post-traumatic stress, OCD. These are terms we all know because this is a common problem in our society. This is a pandemic greater than COVID in our society today. Anxiety disorders. And they come in all different shapes and sizes. Financial problems, relationship issues that often causes a lot of stress, or job-related stress, maybe relationships on the job, the boss who's difficult, or, or meeting new people, or giving a speech, or so many things. I don't need to list them all because we all have our own set of challenges, don't we? We all have our own set of fears and anxieties that many of us, no doubt, are struggling with. And it's not just things out there. Anxiety is often in here. It's the little things that trigger the big fears, perhaps in our hearts. Fears and doubts and concerns and overwhelming sense of worry. This is normal in society. And this is common among us as well. How should we as Christians deal with this this pandemic of anxiety? Well, there's a song, some of you might know it, it was quite popular some years ago, um, very popular, it's top of the charts apparently, you can Google it, Don't Worry, Be Happy, it's a little catchy phrase, Don't Worry, Be Happy, Ain't Got No Cash, Ain't Got No Style, Ain't Got No Gal to Make You Smile, Don't Worry, Be Happy. You probably know this song, because when your face is down, front, well, it goes on anyway, Don't Worry, Be Happy, that's what the world says, and I want to highlight this. That's what the world says. This song, this tune that plays in our mind, don't worry, be happy. Does it help? We know it doesn't help. It may make you smile. It may give you a sense of happiness. But you know, happiness like that, happiness is like an ice cream cone on a hot summer day. If you don't enjoy it now, it's soon going to be gone, right? You gotta not, that's the happiness of the world. Don't worry, be happy, they say. And they repeat it to us endlessly in this song. But it doesn't help. It only maybe helps us forget the problem for just a little while. That's not the way to deal with anxiety, is it? Other people, well, there's other solutions. Maybe they go to therapy or counseling, a friend to to talk to. And this can be very helpful. This can be a gift from God, isn't it? When you're going through a difficult time and you're facing fears and doubts and you call a friend, a shoulder to cry on, someone to talk to, someone who just listens there. It doesn't solve the problem, but it helps, doesn't it? It helps. And sometimes we get through life looking for counseling and and therapists and and others to give us wise advice. and, And God blesses these means often. But again, it doesn't solve the problem, does it? Other people turn to medication. I don't know what it is like here in America, but in Africa, this is a real problem in South Africa. So many people are turning to different types of medication to cope through the hard days with anxiety. And I'm not against medication, and that's not the, this is not the place for that conversation. But that's not the only answer, is it? And that's not the answer all by itself. Because while God does give us the means, even of science and medication to use, It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem. It's not the long-term solution. And so I would suggest, I I, I believe firmly with all my heart that God's word has the better answer. 
the answer that we want to meditate on this morning together from Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. We read the first part already. Let's read the whole, the whole verse, verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. That means don't be anxious, but... So, the problem, the solution, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Dealing with anxiety in Christ is the theme of our message this morning. Dealing with anxiety in Christ, there's a pandemic, uh, there's the biblical solution, God's prescriptions, and there's also a vaccine available we'll look at in our third point. So Paul writes to us, he says, be careful for nothing, do not be anxious. He writes these words to us, by the way, while he was in prison. That's important to remember, I'll come back to that. Paul was in prison, probably in Rome, around the year 60 A.D., 20-some years after Christ arose from the, from the dead and ascended into heaven. This, this is a, one of the prison letters, and he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. Now, Paul had learned the secret of being content, the spiritual secret. It's a grace from God, and he speaks of that somewhat in this chapter and elsewhere as well, the secret of being content in any situation. And he was expressing joy as well because the church in Philippi had been supporting him also financially and through prayer. And even though he was uh, being persecuted, even though he was in prison for his faith, even though he was facing challenges, death threats even it seems, and a very stressful ministry, we know that Paul, he had a lot of stress. He's not, uh, he's not saying this to us in an uncaring, unconcerned way, detached from reality, our reality. He doesn't say, stop being anxious in a situation where he's all at peace. No, Paul experienced a lot of challenges, and that's when he writes this letter to Philippi, because he wants them to have the same experience, the experience of grace. Now, this young church in Philippi, they were dear friends of Paul. You can feel the affection as you read, as you read this chapter. And they were surrounded by challenges and foes, and they were quite daunted. It seems maybe some were, some were facing anxieties and almost giving up. Chapter 1, verse 28 suggests that. And so Paul writes this letter to them to encourage them. And these words in chapter 4 are especially written to believers. That's important. Look at verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, um, so that you stand fast. He's writing, I'm writing, so that you stand fast in the Lord. The idea there is firm or strong in the Lord, similar to the end of Ephesians chapter 6. Strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Stand fast in the Lord. Paul is writing from prison to believers who are experiencing challenges so that they would stand fast, stand firm in Christ. In this final section, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4, there are seven imperatives or instructions about standing firm in Christ. The dominant theme is rejoicing in Christ even while suffering, and we're looking at one of these instructions now in verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That's the context now in which Paul gives us, or rather the Holy Spirit gives us this instruction. Be careful for nothing. Do not be anxious 
about anything. I've already defined anxiety, overwhelming sense of fear and worry. And the idea, of course, in the Greek is to be overly concerned about, to be worried about. Uh, Paul says, be careful for nothing. Do not be anxious. Now, this verse is an echo of what Jesus taught in Matthew 6. Remember Matthew 6 there at the end of the chapter? Matthew 6, verse 31 and following. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. In the Greek, it's the exact same word as used. Same tense, even. Be careful for nothing. Jesus says, take no thought. Or we could say, do not be anxious for all these things. So Paul is echoing the teaching of Christ here, or rather the Holy Spirit is is speaking. The Spirit of Christ is speaking to us here as he spoke to the Philippians, as Christ spoke to his disciples. Do not be anxious. Likely the Philippians already knew this truth, and so Paul is probably just reminding them. And I think we probably all know this already too. And so I don't really need to remind you, but God's word does. It says, stop being anxious. It's a, in fact, it's a command, isn't it? We must not be anxious. It's not good to be anxious. Stop punish, punishing yourself by being anxious. That, that's what it's saying. But you look at me and you say, but, but wait a minute, Pastor. Stop right there. You can say that as many times as you want in as many words as you want, but it doesn't take away my problem. I'm still anxious. I'm still afraid of what might happen next week on the job. I'm still awake at night thinking of all the things that might go wrong. I'm still very, very worried about the situation of my children. I'm still, I'm still anxious. And God's word says, stop being anxious. And then I read verses like this and I feel guilty. And I feel incompetent and unbelieving. And I start to even doubt. And it's like this death spiral. And it gets worse and not better. Is it right for Paul to say this? And it's not, it's not like he says, stop worrying most of the time. But he says, stop being anxious. What does it say? Be careful for nothing. That's, that's, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Nothing. No worry. Maybe we should just listen to the song. Don't worry, be happy, right? That's what the world says, but we know that's not the answer. It's not okay to have a little anxiety or try to control the situation, reduce it, but stop all worry. Is this reasonable? Is it right? You know, many people find coping mechanisms. They find ways to deal with anxiety. Drinking, drugs, other distractions, that's, that's one way. Obviously not the right way. Some people even secretly, silently begin to doubt God's providence in their life. Have you been there? I've been there, I confess. Starting to say, does God really know what he's doing in my life? I know that's doubt. I know that's wrong. But we think it, don't we? Maybe God doesn't know my situation. Well, he does, but my exact situation? Maybe he doesn't understand, or worse yet, maybe he doesn't care about me. Many people go that route, don't they? Many so-called Christians go off the rails here because some big problem comes up in their life. They thought they were a Christian. Everything was going okay, but then the problems came, and they go off the rails. They say, oh, there is no God, and they give up on him. 
because God wasn't there for me when I needed him. Have you heard that before? This is where they go off the rails. Some people try to deny the problem. Just find a way to be happy. Drink the problem away, not with alcohol, but with other things. They fill their life with things as an addiction to to avoid the problem. In Africa, we have what's called the prosperity gospel. That's the gospel. We have it here as well. It's everywhere. It's the so-called churches and the so-called preachers who say that God wants you to be happy and blessed and successful. And if you have faith, if you just have faith, everything's going to go well for you. If you have a positive confession and a positive outlook, and you and God will be there for you, He'll do it all. He'll take care of all the problems. And we hear things like this, and we read Joyce Meyer. You know, you see her picture there in the bookstores, and and you, and you read all this rot, and they say that somehow it's your faith. It's your faith that isn't strong enough. If you just have enough faith, everything will be okay. But this is a lie. This is a lie that's pasting over, that's painting over the problem. Because God does allow bad things to happen to his people. Well, for their good, of course. But there's still tragedies. There's still loss. There's still death. There's still brokenness. And, and, and we often say why with, with Job. So it's dishonest to pretend as if somehow Christians won't face any problems. And this, this heresy from hell is destroying so many so-called churches in Africa and around the world. We have to be honest. God's word is honest. It gives us the instruction, verse 6, be careful for nothing, but it doesn't stop there. And I'm going to continue, but let me just pause here briefly for an application. God's word does not paint over the problem. Like a clown face in a circus. The clown there with the big smile painted on his face. You can just picture it, right? But behind the mask, he's crying because of life's problems and his, whatever he's facing. And so often, we put on the mask, don't we? We put on the clown face. We project to all our friends and our social media virtual contacts that we are happy. But behind the mask, we're crying. And we continue trying to pretend, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be... We keep saying that to ourselves, but the problem doesn't go away. Because you see, God in his mercy exposes the problem of our sin to us. And the brokenness of the world he shows to us, even through the problem of pain and suffering. Living in a sinful world is very stressful, very worrisome. In fact, the book of Isaiah, it's a repeated refrain in the second half. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. So if you're trying to just paint on the clown face, if you're just trying to convince yourself that happiness can be found this side of, this side of eternity, this side of Christ, you're lying to yourself, my friend. Your anxiety will increase because it's, a, it's an indication of a deeper problem in the heart. God's word exposes the source of the problem. We can't just cover it up, try to forget. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth his sin and forsaketh them. Let me read that again. He who covers his sin shall not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Some people run to drinking. Some people run to prescription medication. Some people run to things to make them happy because they're busy trying to cover over the brokenness and sin in their lives. 
But in the end, it will catch up with them. God's word says, whoever covers his sin shall not prosper. Maybe God is giving you these anxieties, these fears, these worries, in order to lead you to repentance. That's one concern, consideration. But God's word doesn't end there. And I want to continue pressing on because, you see, God's word doesn't deny the problems of life and doesn't leave us in doubt and despair of our own sinfulness either, does it? God's word gives us a solution, a better answer, a lasting answer to the problems of life. The world says, don't worry, be happy. But God's word says, don't worry, keep praying. And let me unpack this verse now because that's the refrain. Prayer with thanksgiving is the solution that God provides. It seems simple at first, but let's dig into it and apply it in our lives. Verse 6 again, Do not be anxious or be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Very simple truth. But let's meditate on it together and try to apply it and practice it in our lives. There's four words here, actually. Four words for prayer, our communication with God. The first word is simply prayer. But in everything by prayer. So no anxiety, nothing, taking, being careful for nothing, but in everything. You see the extremes here. Extreme, it's, it's a polar opposite. In everything by prayer. A request for help made by speaking to God, usually in the form of a petition, vow, or wish. That's prayer. Making our needs known to God. And then the second word, supplication. There's more emotion in this word. Plea, entreaty, uh, crying out to God, supplication. The heart and the mind is engaged. Request is the third word for prayer here. A petition. Even even as strong as a demand, Lord, thou knowest my need, please. An urgent request is the idea with this word, request. And then the fourth word for communicating with God is simply the verb to make known, to tell God all about it, to, 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 to show him or to relate to God the, the thing that's causing us worry. These are four communication words we find in verse 6. And this is the activity that we are commanded to engage in instead of being anxious. When? Well, it says in everything, in all circumstances, in every situation that causes anxiety. So in place of this anxiety, it's replaced with this communication language. Prayer, supplication, request, and making our needs, making our situation known to God. Don't worry, keep praying, really, is the refrain that we see here. God's prescription for those who are facing anxiety. It almost seems too simple, doesn't it? Maybe you say, but that's so simple. Yes, it is. Remember what Naaman, the Syrian general, said? Remember Elisha said, well, Elisha's messenger said to him, go wash in the Jordan River. And what did he say? Too simple for me. I have rivers back home that are much better. I'm not going to wash in that river. How simple. I was, I was hoping for something big and special and a miracle, perhaps. That's what Naaman said at first, right? But over time, what did he, he learned by faith to, to, to just wash. And I think there's something about that here as well. The solution is, is really quite simple. 
prayer. But it requires faith. And that's our problem, isn't it? There's a lack of faith often. There's there's faith. And the more we worry, the more blind we become to this need of faith and, 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 and and the promises that faith holds on to. And the more in this death spiral of doubt we find ourselves in. This simple faith, prayer. Okay, well, then fine. Maybe your friends say to you, but your religion is just a drug that you take to make you happy. And isn't that what this verse does to you? When you're going through an anxiety, you just read this verse like these fluffy greeting cards sometimes, and you somehow say it enough to yourself, and maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it becomes true like an opiate. Karl Marx, the father of communism, said that. Religion is an opiate of the people, a drug they take just to get them through the tough parts of life. But no, you see... It's, it's so much more than that, isn't it? And that's, that's the first point or the first prescription that God gives us, I think. The first truth that we find packaged here. Because right there at the end of verse 6, let's start with the end. The end of verse 6, the last two words. Make your request known unto God. Let's, let's start there. Right there. Because Karl Marx denied the existence of God. And from there, everything was downward and backward and upside down. But we don't. We believe in God, don't we? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God at 2 a.m. in the morning when you can't sleep and you're worried about what's going to happen later next week or next month? Do you trust in the God above all things, the Father in heaven? You see, that's what anxiety does. It, It causes us to forget God, don't worry, be happy. That song is not a prayer. It's a, it's a saying that we say to ourselves, a self-help attempt to paste over the problem of pain in this world. It ignores God. It ignores his truth, which is foolishness. Stupidity is how the Bible describes it, especially when we're going through difficulties. But prayer is the opposite. Prayer is a relationship with God. It's more than just an email that you send to someone you don't know. Prayer is a relationship with our God in heaven. There is a God. He is on the throne. He's in control of all things. We pray to God. That's where we start. Prayer is a relationship, a communication. And it's so much more than just words. It's not just a self-pity party reminding ourselves about how bad our situation is. How, how stupid. And anxiety is like that, isn't it? It's, it's really kind of stupid. Because it distracts us from the real truth. Remember God. There is a God who urges all men to pray to Him, to make their request known to Him. Do you know this God? Do you know Him? God's almighty power and majesty and sovereign providence. Yes, we know that God. We can't deny it. It's evident in nature. But do you know Him personally through Jesus Christ, our Savior, His love? His forgiveness. You see, that's what the world doesn't have. They sing, don't worry, be happy, because they have nothing better to say. But we have so much more. We know this God through Jesus Christ, don't we? Jesus Christ, the Savior. He has promised never to leave you or forsake you. Why do you continue living as if there is no God? As if Jesus isn't your Savior? As if he isn't concerned and caring about you? You see, that's what anxiety does, doesn't it? It causes us to doubt. Christ, our Savior, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. 
What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I like that verse because it really captures the experience of the soul, doesn't it? I'll read the second part. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Fears, anxieties, doubts, these are normal in life. And we have the answer to deal with them. We have a God in heaven. He is our Father in Jesus Christ, our provider, who at his more than willing and able to answer and supply our every need. This is why Paul learned contentment, because he knew this God, his Father in heaven. And we have a Savior who carries our sins and bears our griefs for us. This is what we believe. This is what we confess. Now let's practice it. Next time, 2 a.m. in the morning when you can't sleep, put this confession into practice. And say it. Sing it out loud if you have to, because Satan doesn't like these words. Jesus Christ is my Savior. He cares for my every need. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You see, that's step one, isn't it? Return to the gospel basics. When you're overwhelmed by a sense of fear and worry, go back, go back to the simple gospel. Jesus is my Savior. Can you say it? Can you say that? If not, my friends, what are you doing to yourselves? How foolish. How, how stupid. Really, the Bible says. You're denying the only way to deal with this terrible problem called worry. And more than that, you're living in rebellion against the gospel. Jesus has come to bear our sins and griefs. He has entered into our broken, sinful world. He was victorious over sin and doubt. And he faced all the challenges. Think of the depression, the temptation to depression and anxiety he must have faced there in the wilderness when Satan tempted him for 40 days. When he fasted in the wilderness and prayed to his Father in heaven, he carried the curse of our sins. He took on himself the shame and the humiliation for my brokenness and my sinfulness and my ugliness of sin. This is our Savior. Learn to trust your Heavenly Father. That's God's prescription. Prayer unto God. But then secondly, there's a second prescription here too. Let's look more at prayer. Anxiety often causes an over-attention to specific issues. You see, we're distracted, aren't we? We're distracted. I find myself sometimes doing this. I get distracted by the problem, and I start to really focus only on the problem and that's fixated on this thing, and it just kind of overwhelms you, right? And after a while, you, you, you forget everything else, and you're just overwhelmed by this huge monster of a problem. But you see, prayer, true prayer, has the opposite effect. It takes our focus off the problem and our puts, it puts our focus again to the God who has promised to be with us in every situation. It replaces this worry and self-reflections with, with communication with God and refocuses one's attention on the sovereign God who, who is above it all. I find it to be very helpful to reword the problem as a prayer. It's very simple. Many of you have probably done it yourself already. But if you take the problem, whatever problem it is that's just causing you to worry, and you reword it, 
reword it as a prayer. Maybe it's the test, the test that's coming next week at school. You're not in school yet, some of the kids here, but when, that, when the school comes, this test comes as well, don't they? And you're saying, the test is coming, and I'm worried about what I'm going to do on the test. I might fail the test. I'm not going to have the answer. I haven't studied enough. And you start to get fixated on the problem. But if you reword it simply, Lord, please help me do well on the test. Bless the studies that I've done and help me to study effectively so that I'll do well on the test. You see how it just simply, it refocuses, it re- reframes the entire conversation, doesn't it? To a petition asking God to help. Now, God's word is full of this kind of instruction. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Or... 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares and anxieties upon him, God in Christ, for he careth for you. Prayer is a beautiful gift from God that rewords our problems into petitions and allows us to communicate these to the God who is above all things, to our Father in heaven to Jesus, our friend and advocate. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So when you're overcome by anxieties and fears, perhaps a day of prayer and fasting is needed. Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days. And if Jesus did it, then certainly we should too. Put your precise problem into words and communicate them to your Father in heaven. Put your urgent petition to him in words too. This is the way he has ordained for us to face anxieties. So number one, simple gospel basics, the relationship we have with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Number two, force yourself to pray. Number three, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Often my prayers become a laundry list of everything I want. I need help here, I need help here, please help this one in the church, and that one who's sick, and that one who's lost the father, and please, 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 all these lists of needs. And and valid needs, very good needs, important needs. We bring our needs to God in prayer. But don't forget this little clause here. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Or sometimes our prayers become a list of complaints. We wouldn't quite say it that way, but that's really what they are. We're complaining to God about our situation. Woe is me because this has happened and because this has happened and because this is going wrong and I've failed here and I messed it up here and, and this is bad. And our, our prayers become a list of complaints. But we have to remember, by grace, it's with thanksgiving. It's with thanksgiving that we are to pray. With thanksgiving. Many people pray wrongly, full of complaints or murmuring or impatient or lack of gratitude. Remember Psalm 77, Asaph? You can read it later for yourself. Psalm 77, the first half. The first half of the psalm, the psalmist Asaph falls into this pit. A pit of unthankful complaint to the Lord. And we find that in the Psalms because the Psalms are very real. They're the language of the soul. And whether we like it or not, this is sometimes our language, isn't it? And Asaph falls into this pit of unthankful complaint. But 
But as he continues in this, the Lord delivers him from this pit. And in the second half of the psalm, we see a turning point. Verse 11 and 12. Let me read them. Psalm 77, verse 11. I will remember the works or the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate on all thy work and talk of thy doings, thy mighty deeds. Asaph remembers and he meditates on what God has already done. And that, my friends, is such a beautiful place to be. When the Lord rescues us from this pit of unthankful complaint and he reminds us of what he has already done. His mighty deeds. We know his mighty deeds. In Jesus Christ, he did many mighty deeds, didn't he? He sent his son to die for sinners. What a mighty deed that was. But not just the objective truth of the gospel, redemption accomplished, but the subjective truth of that gospel applied in my own heart, my own life. Think of the mighty deeds of the Lord through Jesus Christ by his spirit in your own life, dear believers. Remember, remember how he has helped you in the past how he's rescued you in the past. Thanking God for past graces, for past mercies. What a wonderful way to be rescued from the pit of unthankfulness and self-doubt and self-pity. I will remember the works of the Lord. Prayer is the chief part of thankfulness, our confessions say. So don't be distracted by all the immediate problems forgetful of what God has done in the past. When you're facing the concern for tomorrow and you remember how God has helped you last week or last month or last year, I was just thinking that this morning. I was thinking back of a time when the Lord was close to me and I thought, what a beautiful way to to strengthen and encourage us. The Holy Spirit just comes alongside and he reminds us of God's deliverances and past mercies. Cast your cares upon this gracious friend of sinners and learn to pray with thanksgiving for what God has done for you in the past. This is how we face anxiety. That was step three. And then step four. Step four. Let's, in fact, let's step back a bit. Let's step back a bit. Many people in the world, when they're going through times of anxiety and challenges and problems, what do they do? They, 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 find, they find a counselor, an exa- a therapist, someone to help them deal with their problem. And I don't know how it is here, but in South Africa, even people in the church, they're going to their, their counselor, their therapist to get prescriptions to help them work through problems in life, anxieties. And there's certainly challenges there to, to deal with. And that's not necessarily wrong because God uses means, doesn't he? And again, I'm not going to get into that conversation here. God often gives the means of medication and people to help us, gifted people. But why do we go to these means first without first using the prescriptions that God has given? Why do we quickly run to the therapist and the counselors and other people to help us and and pay large sums of money as well if we haven't first spent a few hours on our knees? A few nights in prayer. A few days of prayer and fasting. I'm not saying the one is wrong. I'm saying it comes second. God gives us his prescriptions here. You know, sometimes I'm very busy, under stress, and different concerns, and Mukanyu and other needs, and, 
And you know that tomorrow's going to be a really busy day, and you, if you don't sleep well, you're going to have a harder time of it. And, and you get at 11 o'clock at night, and you, you feel like uh, this, isn't, this isn't going to work well, and you might be up all night. And you're tempted to go to the medicine cabinet. There's these little blue pills, Tylenol PM. And you think about it laying in bed. You know, if I just take a half of a Tylenol PM, I'll get through this night, right? And there's nothing wrong with Tylenol PM if it's not abused. It's a means God gives, and yet, and then this goes through my mind like this. But maybe the Lord wants me to be up tonight on my knees praying. Maybe he woke me up at 1 o'clock in the morning so that I can pray. And maybe by taking that pill, I will miss out on his blessing. Because God doesn't save us from problems. He saves us through problems. That's how the Bible always speaks of it. And so perhaps I get my sleep but lose my privilege of prayer through the night, to the Lord. And maybe the next day that I thought was going to go disastrous if I didn't have enough sleep, the Lord would have been with me there in a special way to help me through it. You never know, right? You see, sometimes we run to the means that God has provided, and, we, and that's good. They're not wrong necessarily. But we miss out on this close walk with our Lord, step by step, with us. Why do we run to the secondary means when we have not yet spent a few hours on our knees in prayer? And that's, that begs the question that Jeremiah, the prophet, asks. Jeremiah 8, verse 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Why does the church look like the world when it comes to prescription medication for worry and doubt and fear? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Is not Christ the friend of sinners, the physician of souls? Is not there balm for anxious hearts in our Savior? Does not God provide the greatest means, the greatest solution for our anxieties? Jeremiah laments the situation of God's people. And they had turned to idolatry. They had turned to despair. And he says, why are God's people not healed? Maybe God's people were not consulting him, not trusting in him. Are you still consumed by anxiety? I must confess, sometimes I am. But we need to put our faith. No, we need the Spirit to work faith in us. Genuine faith, real faith, true faith. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe your faith isn't real. Maybe you need to run back to Jesus and confess, I got it all wrong. I don't know where I stand. But Lord, please save me. Save me and give me faith to believe the promises again. Because remember, that's why Paul is writing this instruction. He's writing so that believers would stand fast in the Lord. That's what he wants to see us doing. He wants us to be fast, standing firm in the Lord. And there's so much teaching about this in the Bible. Matthew 6, 1 Peter 5, Psalm 37, Psalm 55, Psalm 77, and the list can, can, can continue. Anxiety is fixation on the problems, but meditation, meditation on God's promises and God's provisions and God's mighty deeds in Jesus Christ, that is the pill we need to take the next time we're facing worry. So go to God's medicine cabinet, to Dr. Jesus. He has the solution. Pray for faith to trust him fully. Plead God's precious promises. Use these medicines for the soul first. And then thank the Lord for all the means he provides in your situation. 
So while the world is distracted by the happy clown faces, we have a better solution as Christians, as those who trust in Jesus for forgiveness and grace. Here's God's four-step prescription according to Philippians 4, verse 6. Number one, trust in Christ. It's this relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ It's in this relationship that we make our needs known to our Father in heaven. Trust in Christ. Number two, reword your prayers to God. Your fears and your problems, reword them as requests to God in prayer. Number three, replace our complaints with an attitude of gratitude, of thankfulness by grace. And then fourth, number four, meditate on Christ the great physician of souls. Drink deeply from this healing balm. This is the solution the Bible gives to anxieties in life. It doesn't take away the problem. God saves us through them by teaching us, well, faith, simple faith in God and his promises in Christ Jesus. Now, we've looked at the problem briefly, the pandemic, and the solution in in detail I want to end more briefly now on the vaccine, the vaccine for this pandemic was invented long ago. Christ Jesus is the solution. We know that God's truth is the solution. But more than that, verse 7 zooms in on this fact, and it forces us to think about this beautiful truth. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth All understanding shall keep your hearts and minds via or through or in Christ Jesus. This is the long-term solution for anxiety, the vaccine that guards us against it. The peace of God that passes understanding. God's peace is like a vaccine. When we have that vaccine, we're guarded against this disease called anxiety. What is the peace of God? What is the peace of God? Well, it's inner rest and harmony, freedom from anxiety, actually, literally, in the definition. In the Old Testament, we saw peace or shalom, uh, the kingly blessings that flow from the righteous reign, God's reign and submission of, of all God's foes the quiet calm of the Messianic age. That's the Old Testament. New Testament, we have this idea of spiritual um, peace with God, reconciliation. I wrote it down here. We can only know God's peace as we first receive his grace in reconciliation. And so when God, when, when God forgives us, when, we, when he works repentance in our hearts by his spirit and we cry out for mercy and he forgives us our sins, justification, reconciliation, There's no longer any accounting of sin between us and God. uh, The judge is now satisfied. The debt has been paid in Christ. And our sins are canceled, as it were, forgotten even, is the word that the Scriptures use in the mind of God. Then we're reconciled. Sin is no longer there, and we are brought together, one with God in Christ. Reconciliation. And that's when the peace of God enters. Peace of God, it flows from this reconciliation. It follows directly upon peace with God. The peace of God comes from the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 
chapter 5, verse 1. You can read it later. Christ who made this peace possible through his blood on the cross. Colossians 1, verse 20. Ephesians 2, verse 17 and following. We know that this is the peace of the gospel, isn't it? Peace with God. And this peace fills our hearts. It protects us. It protects us. Guard your hearts and your minds is the idea. Shall keep your heart and your mind. See that word keep there in verse 7. In the Greek, the idea is to protect or to guard, like a soldier guards, uh, you know, a, 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 a castle. Guards to watch over. Philippi, the city of Philippi, where Paul was writing this letter, uh, to, to, to whom Paul was writing, it was, a, it was a Roman garrison. And so the Philippian Christians certainly knew this term very well because their city was garrisoned. Many Ro- Roman soldiers were there guarding the city and the, and the Roman interest there in that place. And so that's the word Paul uses here. Guard, keep. The peace of God guards your heart and your minds. And so not just our hearts, our emotions, our feelings, because anxiety is an overwhelming feeling, isn't it, often? But also our minds, which is really the source of those feelings. The, the mind, when we start to think about all the wrong things and get distracted by the doubts and concerns and depressions, it's our mind that goes wrong, isn't it? And so this peace of God, it says here in verse 7, uh, shall keep or guard our hearts and minds. Holistic health. That's the idea. This peace of God is a grace earned by Christ when he died for our sins, to take away the guilt and reconcile us to the Father. And this peace of God is a grace worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, given to us, worked within us. How does God work this peace within us? Well, there's many ways Scripture gives us. We don't have time now to look at them all, but often it's through trials. It's through trials that the Lord strengthens faith. And fills us with this peace. And so that as the Lord has led us through these trials, we can look back and say, look at how he has led me in the past by his grace. And he strengthened faith so that the next trial when it comes, we can say, no, but God has been with me in the past. He will help me now in the future. There's a beautiful verse in Corinthians. The God who has helped us and comforted us in the past And who comforts us now in the present will comfort us in the future, Paul says. And the same is true here. God, who has given grace in the past to get through the anxieties, who has been with us, not just saving us from sin, but also walking with us, as it were, through the trials that he sees fit to give us, that same God will be with us in the future. And it's that it's that sense of God's presence and his promises to provide for every need, even future needs. It's that sense that the Holy Spirit uses to fill us with this peace of God that passes understanding. It passes understanding. It's beyond human comprehension. This is a place the world cannot go. There's no counterfeits here in the the heat of the battle. It's beyond human comprehension. But it's also better than human comprehension. You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a situation that causes worry, I'm also often trying to, to plan and to plot and to scheme and to make, make all these ideas and plans to sort the problem, to solve whatever the situation is. That's my, my type. Others, others face challenges differently. But it's, it's this human reasoning, this human understanding that we often employ in order to solve the problem ourselves, isn't it? 
But this peace of God is better than that. Not only is it beyond that, it's better than that. Because that's when it quiets all our fears, all our thoughts, all our the wheels have to stop turning and we just have to come and rest. Rest before our God in heaven, before Jesus Christ, our advocate at the throne of grace, before the Holy Spirit who is working, working this grace in our hearts. Bunyan, John Bunyan has a beautiful picture, actually, in his book, Mansoul, A Holy War. The town of Mansoul uh, was taken over by Prince Emmanuel. You'll have to read the book to get the whole story. If you haven't read it yet, it's, it's a must read. But Prince Emmanuel appointed a man by the name of Mr. God's Peace. He appointed him and made him the patrol of the city. Mr. God's Peace in the town of Mansoul. And Bunyan says this, he says, Nothing was found but harmony, happiness, joy, and health so long as Mr. God's peace maintained his office. I just love it how Bunyan puts it, right? But when Prince Emmanuel was grieved away from town, Mr. God's peace laid down his commission and departed. Now, what is Bunyan saying with that picture, that analogy? You see, the Holy Spirit gives us this grace, peace in the midst of anxiety. He works this grace in our hearts, God's peace. This protection, this soldier guarding against anxiety, keeping anxiety out. But when Prince Emmanuel is grieved, then sometimes Mr. God's peace, he also leaves town. And the soul is all in turmoil again, isn't it? Not because God isn't able to give peace. He is certainly always able. In fact, that's our hope. But because our sins grieve him and the anxieties and the doubts and the fears return, don't they? Like Peter, when he was walking on the waves to Jesus, everything was fine. He was looking at Jesus. He was trusting in Jesus. But then the doubts returned as he looked at the waves and he began to sink. And, of course, God used that again. He uses these things in our lives to strengthen our faith if we are believers. But, you see, that's the peace of God. I'm trying to describe it here. That's the peace of God. Is your heart being guarded by God's peace? Those without Christ have no peace. The book of Isaiah says repeatedly, there is no peace for the wicked. Those who are without Christ are still living in wickedness. They need chemicals. They need drugs. They need other schemes to cover up. They need the happy face painted on the clown's tears. They need all these things the world offers. Don't worry, be happy. And they sing these refrains to try to drown out the reality because there's no peace for the wicked. It's a solemn reality, because this is only a beginning. The worries, the doubts, the fears that unbelievers face is only a foretaste of what hell is going to be like, where there's terror, terror in the face of the wrath of the Lamb of God. Awful, awful to think about. But those who are in Jesus, God's peace is available, a grace freely given by the Holy Spirit. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, God's vaccine against worry and doubts and fears that are normal in life, that will always come. How do we get this vaccine? Who is eligible? In South Africa right now, there's all these rules about who is eligible because there's only a few vaccines to go around, and everyone wants to get in the queue to stand in the line for the vaccine. Who is eligible for this vaccine? Well, it's free. It's free. 
It costed a lot. Jesus suffered. He suffered to pay for the sins of my anxiety, my disregard of his promises, my lack of faith and doubt and unbelief. But it's free for us. It's free for the asking. All believers, come drink deeply of this fountain, this balm of Gilead, this great physician of souls. In Christ Jesus, there is perfect peace. Peace that passes understanding. Isaiah 26, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Faith, right? Because he trusteth in thee. That's the truth, the promise. And then the command, the instruction. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Are you trusting alone in Christ your Savior? Are you trusting alone in Him? There is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician here, here in the church where Christ is offered for sinners. Come drink deeply of this healing well. All you who are weary and heavy laden, it's free. And for those of us who are learning to trust more and more, I have some homework for us. Three things. I want to give you three things just to meditate on. You can write these down if you want. Three things to meditate. And may the Holy Spirit help us practice these things. Three things. First, these lessons. First, we need to learn by God's grace. We learn to pray with thanksgiving in or for all things. Prayer with thanksgiving in for all things. Second, and this is what the second part of the chapter focuses on, Philippians 4. Learning contentment, God's peace in all situations. This isn't easy. We know there's many challenges, even in the bulletin, the needs that are coming this week, right? Learning contentment, God's peace in all situations. And third, learning to rejoice greatly in Jesus Christ at all times. Another theme we find in this chapter. Learning to pray with thanksgiving, learning contentment, God's peace, and learning to rejoice greatly in Christ. You see, these are the graces the Holy Spirit desires to work more and more in God's people. So this is our homework. Pray that God will work these graces in our hearts, and these graces will give us the peace that he has promised to protect us from the anxieties that are normal in life. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our lives are full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. And many people face many challenges in this world. And we mourn with those who suffer, certainly. But we look to Thee, Lord Jesus, the great physician of souls. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that Thou wilt work grace in our hearts, faith to trust in Jesus, grace to pray as we are instructed with thanksgiving, Grace, the grace of peace that passes understanding in our hearts to protect us from anxiety. Lord, we pray that thou wilt work these graces in our hearts and cause us all to be instructed and exercised in these, these graces and qualities of spiritual godliness. Bless us now, we pray. Bless this day. May this day be a day of spiritual rest as we meditate on the things of Christ with our families and rejoice in thy goodness. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.